Hey, Three Crosses family, this is Pastor AJ here. I oversee life groups and discipleship at Three Crosses. And today our topic is let's go and give to the Lord. We're going to be in the book of Malachi, uh, not a book we often turn to, but we are in Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. We had a great uh, conversation about giving in store for you guys. And so with that, let's go about giving in the book of Malachi out of all places, none other than Pastor Danny Strange. Pastor Danny, welcome back to the podcast studio. It's a pleasure to be back in the podcast studio with you, AJ. Oh man, our conversations are a lot of fun and I can't wait to jump into Malachi. It's a book that uh, we often don't get into that much. And so right off the bat, before we even read a verse in Malachi, I want to talk a little bit about the background of the book. Um, Could you help us orient our minds around what is happening in the book of Malachi. And then um, maybe some of us might not even be able to find the book of Malachi. It's a very small book. And so uh, what does its placement have to do with anything? And yeah, what is the book of Malachi? <laughs> and Malachi, if you want to find it, it's the very last book of the Old Testament in your Bible. And so, and that's placed there on purpose uh, because as we read, even right after this passage that that we're going to talk about today in Malachi 3. He starts talking about a forerunner that's going to come before the Messiah, predicting John the Baptist. So when you read Malachi in order in the Bible, it almost feels like there's this dot, dot, dot at the end. And then there's 400 years of silence. And then Matthew begins and we get to start to hear about the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. Malachi in the Hebrew tradition was not the last book of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, it was broken into three parts, the, the Torah, the prophets, the Nebim, and the writings, the Ketuvim. And uh, Malachi was the last of the prophets. And so same effect, as you read through all the different prophets in the Old Testament, they made Malachi the last one because after Malachi would come the Messiah that they were waiting for. And so we read Malachi as an indictment on God's people in a, in a season of sin and um, destruction in their community. But um, we also read it with a bit of a, a silver lining that, hey, return to me, God says, I'll return to you. And then I'm going to send forth the Messiah to come to you. And that's where the Old Testament ends with this cliffhanger. Yeah, and it's so interesting that there's six different disputations in here. And so we're in Disputation number five, which basically means argument number five. It seems like God's people and the Lord are just not on the same page here. And um, yeah, we get to a place where um, the Jewish people are returning and they're trying to figure out life to, uh, again with this second temple uh, rebuild, um, the, the new community forming. And so we get to this position in Malachi chapter three, starting in verse six, if you're following along at home. It says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and 
offerings. So you see that it's almost like a conversation going on back and forth. How are you to return? Uh, how are we robbing you? And uh, this, this concept of returning back to the Lord, return, return, it's all over the Bible. Repent, uh, turn back, turn from your ways. And as I was reading this particular passage, you would almost expect Malachi to say return and then follow up with like some of the worst or grievous sin. You know, um, I think of all the things that went down in Canaanites. I think of all the things that went down in Israel's history, all the abuse, all these things. And yet God responds by, or the messenger responds here. Malachi says, will a mere mortal rob God? And the conversation goes, yeah, you're robbing God in tithes and offerings. So it's return because of the tithes and offerings. And I'm just interested in why you think tithes and offerings fits into that spot in the conversation. It seems like, okay, something really important is going down and then we get to tithes and offerings. So for this question, can you just be, help us remember what exactly we mean by tithes and offerings? And then one of the phrases you used in your message was that giving was a keystone discipline. And so could you help us unpack why this practice of giving snowballs into other really important things? And is that the center of a lot of things? Yeah, I I think, first of all, you were saying you would think that God would give them a list of grievous sins they need to stop. The interesting thing is, is when you read the context of Malachi chapter three, he does. He talks about (laughs) the priests who aren't sacrificing to God properly and aren't living righteous lives and are stealing from God's people in a sense. Uh, He talks about divorce and intermarriage with Canaanite women and how they've discarded their wives and just kind of cast them aside. Like these are grievous sins, which even underscores the fact that like, how come he doesn't name those ones as the ones to stop first? (laughs) Right. But instead he says, the first thing we need to address is you've got to stop robbing me. And I'll give you two answers because I don't know if either of these are correct because God doesn't say. One, I think we need to be careful that when we decide what's the worst sin, that we don't decide what the worst sin is, right? right? right. So I always think of Romans chapter one that kind of like gives an escalating list of sins, right? That just gets worse and worse and worse. And by the end, right, the second to last one says they invent ways of doing evil. And then the top of the list, the worst sin they commit is they disobey their parents. And every time I hear that, I think, wait, that's the worst (laughs) sin of this whole list? But in God's view, it is. That is, in American culture, oh yeah, we all disobey our parents. But in God's economy, that is the worst of all of these different sins on this list. And so part of it could be, we might think, oh, throwing your wife in the gutter and marrying someone new or sacrificing the Lord improperly or being a, a man of God that's supposed to be a priest who's has an abomination in the way that they carry out worship is the worst sin. There's a possibility that God's saying, no, all of those pale in comparison to the fact that you're not bringing forth your giving to me. So tithes and offerings might be a worse sin than all those other things. Hmm. At the same time, like you mentioned, where we landed on Sunday was the study of a keystone habit, which... If you missed the message, you can go back and listen to it. But uh, what, what we talked about is there are some different habits in life that when we step into them, they snowball, like you said, and, and catapult into other things. And the reason I, I went with that 
interpretation of this passage is two reasons. One, God says, return to me. And this is the first thing he says, hey, right. do this. I don't think God is saying do this and then don't worry about your wives that you've discarded. Don't worry about the right. bad sacrifices the priests are making. Eventually they're going to deal with all those. This is the this is the tipping point, the first one that can catapult into all the others. The second reason is because when Jesus talks about money in the New Testament, he uses that same mentality where it says where your treasure is, your heart will be also. This idea that your heart follows your money. And I'm wondering if the reason that God is telling them this is the first thing I want you to do is because ultimately, more than their behavior, God wants their hearts. And God knows that the behavior that he can ask us to engage to that's most likely to affect our hearts is what we do with our finances because where our treasure is, our hearts will follow. So there's a chance that God is going after the hearts of the people by trying to say, throw your wallets towards me because I know your hearts are very closely connected to your wallets. And so how did you, in your study, how did you see this idea of tithes and offerings play out in the Old Testament? Because I'm sure there, I mean, if this is so critical to where your heart is going to be, you should see this pattern arise. And, uh, you know, how does it, what does it look like in the Old Testament framework, these tithes and offerings? Yeah, so giving is part of God's covenant community from before the law. And so Genesis chapter four, the first story of humans on earth after the fall, um, trying to figure out life on this planet is Cain and Abel. It starts with a story about them bringing their offering to the Lord and God judges Cain because his offering wasn't pleasing and he doesn't judge Abel because his offering was pleasing. And so we see very early on, the earliest you can get, bringing our gifts to the Lord is very close uh, is a very important topic for the Lord. As the law comes in, God starts to codify exactly what he requires of us when it comes to giving. And so this concept of tithe comes up. Concept of tithe does not come up at the first in the law. We see it come up first, I think, with Abraham uh, in the book of Genesis before the law, where there's a, a big battle and Abraham comes out to the king of, is it of Salem? Is that the king of Yes. The king, king of, of Salem, Salem named yeah. Melchizedek, Melchizedek. Yep. and uh, which Melchizedek means? King of righteousness. King of righteousness. Yep. So he was the literal king of the country of Salem, but his name meant king of righteousness. And the New Testament, they talk about Melchizedek as a type of Christ, um, someone who represents Christ in the Old Testament. So anyway, Abraham comes to him and gives him a tithe of all that he received, a tithe of all that he has, a 10%, a 10th part. And so this idea of tithing um, is kind of the basic giving unit of the Old Testament. Whenever a gift was to be collected, uh, most of the time it was a tithe. And so when the law came, when you would harvest your crops and you would get, let's say you got 10,000 tomatoes, you would take a thousand of your tomatoes and you'd bring them to the priest and you'd bring a tenth of your crops to uh, the priest as your first fruit, as your tithe, right? If you had, a, I don't know if they had tomatoes back then. That's a lot of salsa. Uh, that's say. a lot of salsa. I, yeah, AJ and I were talking before the podcast. I don't know where all this went. I had a buddy who was a pastor in the Central Valley and a lot of farmers came to his church and most of them, their crops would come in, they would sell them at market and they'd give 10% of the proceeds to the church. One of the farmers actually would bring a truckload of grain to the church mm -hmm. and he said, this is what the Bible says to do. I 
harvested my grain today. This is the first 10% of the grain that came in, right? So that's the tithe. Is something comes in, you give the first 10%. You surrender it to the Lord. Um, and then there were other tithes, other 10% parts. We see in the practice of God's people, they would reserve a, a second tenth of their income annually or however they would receive income. And they would set it aside for religious worship purposes so that when they wanted to come to Jerusalem for uh, a festival or they needed to buy an animal for sacrificing, they had funds to do that um, because they set aside a second tenth part. So now we're at 20% of their income. Mm -hmm. And then we also saw in the law, every three years that God would collect another tenth. So now we're at 30% on that third year um, of their income that would all be collected in food, most likely, to be distributed to the poor. And so every three years, everyone in the community would give a tenth of, another tenth of their income um, so that those who were hungry for the next three years could eat the grain that was stored and those types of things. And so we see these different tithes in the Old Testament. We also see a ton of offerings in the Old Testament. So read the book of Leviticus. You read about all different types of offerings. And I don't know if it's still on our website, but Pastor Larry did a great series on Leviticus probably 12 years ago now. Um, (laughs) And the thing that I remember that, that struck him as he studied the book was he said, what I noticed is that every time God's people come to gather in the book of Leviticus, they bring a gift. They bring an offering. And so I don't know if he still does this, but I remember him talking to me about, and I feel compelled every time I come to church on Sunday, even though I'm already tithing from my salary, I just want to bring some kind of gift because it seems like what God is saying is whenever we gather, you bring an offering to the Lord. Mm. Um, You know, this is part of why we call church a worship service is ourselves are an offering. We bring ourselves to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the Old Testament, Tithes are these ten part, tenth parts, and then these offerings, whether it's grain or doves, sometimes it's for sin, sometimes it's to celebrate. All these different reasons you bring gifts to the Lord, it's above and beyond that tithe. And so this is the concept of tithes and offerings. I think it's fascinating because as we're even talking about this, I think uh, it's a hard connection in my own mind because you, you think in the current culture, you think of the conversation with tithes and offerings and you immediately think like cash mm-hmm. and checks and, uh, you know, even the tomato analogy is so profound because, yeah, that would have cost money for them. And, and thinking about offerings in that same way, because it's like you can read Leviticus and just be like, oh, those are animals. Those are all gone. And yet, yeah, you're talking about people's livelihood. Um, and so, yeah, just that connection between, um, I guess, an economic connection between people's possessions and um, what they're giving to the uh to the body, to the community. So, well, and you um, see, even in in that, that there are a couple of different purposes, especially with the tithes, the the offerings. It feels like you're coming to bring a, a gift of gratitude to the Lord or atone for sin or whatever it is. With the tithes, you kind of get a little glimpse into God's heart for what he's trying to do with this because some of it was a sacrifice um, mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, you bring your tomatoes, you dump them, you walk away. <laughs> um, part of it though, if you read through the Old Testament, that God gives um, allowance for the priest to be able to eat the meat of the mm-hmm. offerings, right? So. 12, one out of every 12 of the Israelites, like the Levites, um, were in this, this, uh, family or group called priests and they their job was to just serve conduct religious worship for the community so they had no means of income and so part of the tithe was paying in a sense the salary right. of these levites right. mostly like you said by providing them food to eat while they lived in the temple and carried out their work um but that's where you see all these indictments in the Bible about these priests that are getting fat on the offerings, but they're not serving the people. It's like, that's the tension is part of the tithing system was sacrificing resources to the Lord, 
part of the tithing system was supporting the clergy because the value for God's people was that one out of every 12 of them would opt out of industry and just serve the religious community. And so their tithe funded in today's labeling the paychecks for those priests. Um, and then, yeah, part of it was just this, this idea of saying, Hey, this, this belongs to the Lord. It's this, uh, this idea that, like in James, every good and perfect gift belongs to the Father of lights who does not change, um, which God brings up again in Malachi. I don't change. That's why you're not destroyed, but you're in sin. Return to me. How do we do it? Start with your wallet. I think one of the analogies you had mentioned uh, previously was bringing your offering or tithing offering today and then watching us light it on fire because <laughs> you had the burnt offering that went all of it went up mm-hmm. in smoke and it's just like can you imagine that's like hey <laughs> did anyone bring a, a special gift to the lord today so i was like i did i just sold my business i made a hundred thousand dollars and i wanted to bring right. fifty thousand dollars to the lord that's amazing put it in this big like pit of fire <laughs> and you throw in the fire fit it's like you know, and so part of it too is this idea of like the transcendence and imminence of God, where there's some imagery, and even in the Old Testament, of God. You know, we don't believe that God eats the offering like in Eastern religions, where they right. put the gifts before the you know the ancestors or whatever. But there is this picture of a fragrant offering. It's an aroma that's pleasing to the Lord. That somehow, as it goes into the heavens, God is delighted by this offering that's given. And so, it's not merely a sacrifice like it's eradicated or shredded. Um, it's a sacrifice in the sense that it's sent up to the heavens. But yeah, it's kind of like, I mean, I don't know why I picture the ascension of Jesus where it's like he goes in the heavens and disappears from their sight. It's like, I just put my dollar in that fire pit and it disappeared from my sight. I hope it's in the heavenly places (laughs) and I'm now storing up treasures in heaven, which is how Jesus talks about our acts of righteousness, whether it's giving or um, fasting or prayer. We'll talk about that next month in the Sermon on the Mount, but um, that somehow what we do with our acts of righteousness on earth become treasures in heaven instead. It's almost like, and you put it in that fire pit, maybe you picture it like transferring from the earthly account to the heavenly account or something that might be going too far. But um, <laughs> that's some of the imagery that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter five around that. Well, I know anytime we talk about money and I think we talked about this on Sunday, uh, it can get a little dicey. Tell me what you mean by dicey. Skeptical maybe is a oh, good word. Oh, you're going to ask me a skeptics <laughs> question? Okay, here we go. I have several skeptical angles. This is great. This is a great topic because a lot of times the skeptic is the person who's kind of standing outside of the the lines of faith and kind of looking in. I'm sure we have a lot of Christian skeptics on Sunday at church. Sure. Yeah. Because anytime you bring money, I tell you. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The skeptic hat just starts to come on. Oh, yeah. Or it's the skeptic hood that goes over your head and you hide (laughs) behind it. Not me. Um, I'm struck by this verse because it explicitly says robbing God. And, you know, from other theological accounts, like God doesn't really need anything. And so it, it seems weird to say that you're robbing him as if he, he needed something and he, he was holding on to something. I don't know. There is, this term robbing God has just brought up a lot of question. And so this message of robbing God comes from my messenger. And so if you just imagine the scenario, you have this messenger saying, hey, community, you're robbing God by not funding us. Is this just another nefarious Mm. priest, a nefarious clergyman, a nefarious pastor, per se, um, placing himself in the place of God just to get money? 
that's a question I think <laughs> that the people would have to ask right. in that moment. I think that's the, in order to listen to a prophet speak words of prophecy from the Lord, you have to trust and discern, is this coming from the Lord mm. or are they speaking out of their own mouth, out of their own hearts? It's interesting when you ask that question because the, with the way that the Old Testament tells us that we should test the prophets is really based on, does their message come true? And it's interesting on one hand, like robbing God, how do you know if that came true or not? But later in the passage, he says, test me in this. <laughs> so it's almost like if you're the skeptic and you actually ask that question to Malachi, his response is, test me. Start bringing your tithes and offerings to the Lord and trust me, this, this grass will be green again. These crops will grow again. The rain will fall again. If I'm wrong, what do you do? Kill me, right? This is you yeah, to prophets yeah, yeah, whose right, prophecy right, doesn't right. come true. So it's like they bring their tithes and offerings. If they're not blessed, Malachi will be killed. If they are, it was a true prophecy. And if they ignore him and he was right, they're accountable. So I think that is a wrestling match they would have to do. Um, I think that might be part of the reason that test me in this is part of the message that God gives is to say, if he's wrong, you can kill Malachi, but he's not mm. wrong. Mm. The next skeptical angle comes from the next verse here in uh, verse nine. So it says, you're robbing God uh, in your tithes and offerings. And as a result, verse nine, you are under a curse. A curse. Your whole nation because you are robbing me. A couple observations. Uh, feel free to respond to them as the skeptical angle on my part. Um, I mean, God, come on. A curse of the entire nation because tithes and offerings aren't going well? Like, isn't that a bit overkill? That's my first skeptical response. But the second one is when you look a little bit deeper, you could probably pull this curse from Deuteronomy 28 where it's like, hey, you're not obeying this covenant, um, the covenant terms that I've established in the Old Testament. And so you're going to be under this curse that I've predicted. And yet the skeptic might look at this and say, well, we're in Deuteronomy, we're in Malachi. Um, yeah, perhaps this is all just an Old Testament, Old Covenant issue. Uh, because really, if you look at the New Testament and the New Covenant, Jesus doesn't really command us to tithe anywhere. So I'd, I'd love for you to respond, okay, what, again, is the big deal about like cursing your entire nation? And then secondly, um, are we still bound to the tithe? Um, like what, what, what does the tithe have to do with this new covenant church era? And in terms of the cursing an entire nation, the two answers to that would be one, this is an indictment on an entire nation. So kind of like when the entire nation did not honor um, the Sabbath, the years of Jubilee, God punishes the entire nation because they didn't do what it was. So I think we in American Western Christianity, we are, have a really hard time with corporate sin. But in the Bible, a lot of sin is corporate sin. And by corporate, I mean, it's, it's y'all's, it's all of our fault. Right. You know, we all need to repent. We have a day of mourning because we as a people have sinned. Second response to that is that the way that God describes blessing and cursing can, I mean, unless it's like a cartoon, can only affect the entire nation because he's talking about mm. the rains coming from the clouds, the crops bearing their fruit. And on one hand, it's, that could be individualized, right? You're a tither and your apples stay on the tree. Your next door neighbor doesn't tithe and his apples all got eaten by worms and died. And that's this miracle, <laughs> right? But right. that's part of the, when you look at the scriptures, it talks about that's the hard thing about living in this world is the rain falls on the righteous and the wicked. Um, but what God is saying is like, 
you know, kind of like you've been in seasons of drought and pestilence and whatever, I can stop all that right now and open up the rain clouds of heaven to provide watering for your crops so that you will have a bounty. So part of it is the way that blessing works in an agrarian economy, it affects everybody. So um, those are my answers to that. In terms of if we're bound to the tithe, the biggest and the biggest pushback against being bound to the tithe is, hey, that's part of the law. We're not under the law. We're under grace. We're in the new covenant. Mm -hmm. um, the biggest pushback to that argument is that, like I mentioned before, the tithe predates the law. So mm -hmm. we've got Abraham tithing mm -hmm. to right. Melchizedek before the law was given. Um, we see Cain and Abel giving. It's not, it doesn't right. say, say the word tithe there, but before the law was given. Um, and then the other thing I'd say is for people who want to really wrestle with this, it's like, okay, well then what is the new covenant practice of giving? Um, Jesus talks about stewardship. And the concept of stewardship is everything you have belongs to God. And so as God's money manager, you have to decide, what do I do with these funds in my hands, right? So that's even in the Old Testament, why God says you're robbing me. It's not because like God needs the money and you're not giving it to him. It's like, because you're his money manager and you're spending it on yourself, right? That's, that's robbing the person whose money it really belongs to. But as stewards, I would say in the New Testament, then if you want to say there's no more tithe, he ratchets it up to 100% <laughs> and says all of your money is God's money. Now you need to be very careful how you spend it. And you maybe have the freedom to decide what would God have me invest these funds into for his kingdom purposes. And I would say, if you want to look for patterns, you see in the book of Acts, people liquidate all their money. All of right, it, right. all their properties, all their real estate, they lay it all at the feet of the apostles, which is a road many of us don't want to go down, <laughs> like, uh, I, of all of it belongs to the Lord, so I'm going to give all of it to the church. Part of that was you know, this idea of inheritance and family. The church is my brothers and sisters now, and so I'm not going to give my home to my kids when I die. I'm going to give it to my church, because that's my kids. That's my brothers. That's my sisters. Mm. Um, but all that to say... If in the New Testament, we have the freedom to decide as stewards, what are we going to do with our funds? I would say, well, let's look at the scriptures. What does God provide in the scriptures in terms of wisdom? The first thing you see is that God, in God's economy, the tithe is the basic giving unit in the scriptures. That every time you're talking about giving, it's a tenth part. So that's why I always say, hey, even if we're not under the tithe, quote unquote, that seems like a great starting point because every teaching on giving in the scriptures uses that word one-tenth, 10% tithe. So, um, you know, I'm not going to like, it's not a hill to die on in terms of the mm -hmm. logistics of all that, but um, this is why we generally say it's a good starting point is, you know, like part of the challenge that we gave Sunday is if we, can we grow towards a place where it's like all of my money is God's, God, how would you have me to spend it? And I think the most important thing that God teaches us in the Old and New Testament is that if God, all of our money is God's, and he is ultimately the one who opens up the rain clouds or closes them, then the best thing we could do with our funds is release them towards his purposes and trust that the money's going to come in to provide for us as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what he, what he means when he says, test me in this. It's almost like you're living in this economy where you think your money is yours and you have to hoard it to have enough. Let me give you an alternate economy where all your money is mine and you can spend it and I'll send you new money from the side, right? They open up this channel of blessing. Test me in this. You could step into this new economy. You give your money to the Lord and channels of blessing will open up towards you. And that's a different and better way to live under the trust of, of your God. So whatever you want to do, I would say, let's look at the entirety of scripture. Let's look at the themes that we see in the Bible. And let's not forget that what we teach, what we learn, especially in the New Testament is that all that we have belongs to God. Hmm. And so for stewards, 
I feel like the burden would be on us to make a case for why we feel like if in the Old Testament, God is requiring them to give 23 and a third percent prorated a year plus offerings, if somehow we've decided that now all of our money belongs to the Lord, we're going to give him 20 bucks. <laughs> you know, like, right. just feels like, wow, that's what a, quite a downgrade when it seems mm-hmm. like Jesus is trying to escalate the heart of the law to say, can you learn to trust me more in this, not trust yourself more with your money? Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's revisit that test me in this verse, because that's the next verse in our sequence here, verse 10. And it, it really is the thing that stands out in this passage, this idea of test me in this. So it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And as you mentioned, it starts talking about crops, vines, fields, fruit, um, all these different agrarian blessings that would have made sense in the uh, time it was written. Um, and yet this also brings up a skeptical lens to this because um, it's often pointed out that perhaps there is a one-to-one ratio in your giving and prosperity. Mm. And that's kind of like a, a buzz term that gets thrown around in Christianity, this prosperity gospel, yep. right? And yet, like, I look at this passage and I can't shake the fact that, like, yeah, Israel probably would have done great if all of these things happened. Like, they would have prospered. So I, I'm wondering, uh, how, how can you help us handle this tension of, like, it feels like we are receiving blessing, material blessing, and yet perhaps it's a misdefinition of blessing and that leads to, like, more money, more riches. Uh, what exactly does he mean by blessing here? Yeah, I think that it's interesting. Like you said, the word prosperous is what God is promising. Right. And yet when we use phrases like prosperity gospel or prosperity teaching, it's a little bit different. We're not just saying what God is saying here that, hey, if you trust God with your finances, he's going to make sure that, that you live an abundant, prosperous life. Like Jesus says in John 10, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is not a prosperity teacher because he says that. <laughs> That's the abundant life he offers. I think what when we caution around prosperity teaching, um, we are focusing primarily on money and we're turning God almost into some sort of slot machine. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. are thinking that God's end game is to make us rich. And so prosperity teachers will say things like, you are God's children. You deserve the best, right? He wants to give you a jet. He wants to give you, right? And so <laughs> like, and you see this around the world. And right. unfortunately- most of the places you see prosperity, classic gospel teaching, are in the third world where people mm. are suffering and these clergy are telling them, give all the little you have to the church and God's going to make you abundantly rich when they're all starving. And now these pastors are taking the money. They're buying themselves jets and nice clothes to show that their teaching is true, but they're just robbing the people. They're, they're living out the indictment that God gives to shepherds in the Old Testament where they're using it for themselves. So it's all messed up. But, you know, the phrase, right? Throw the baby out with the wet bathwater. Mm-hmm. God does want us to live an abundant, prosperous life, but the prosperous life, like when Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. He means, I've come that you might have life in the way that I've designed it to be lived, where there's harmony in relationships, where your needs are provided for, where you're free from worry, where you're living these kingdom ethics, where the world is a great place. It's a, it's a holistic view of life. 
And I think in this passage in Malachi where God is saying, test me in this, he's not saying, hey, I'm gonna put this slot machine um, here at your church. And if you put 10% of your income in it and you pull the lever, you're gonna be a rich person. I think what God is saying is kind of, you'll hear this teaching and prosperity teaching all the time, is the difference between a scarcity mindset and an abundance mindset Mm. where someone living in Malachi's day or in our day, might be hoarding their money. Just picture somebody with like a bucket of, of water or something. And they're like, this is all the water I have. I have to be so careful with it. I have to be stingy with it because I, I won't have more. And God says, hey, give me 10% of that water. You're like, I can't, I can't afford to lose it. I need all of this. What if God was saying, I want you to test me in this. If you pour out 10% of this water into your community, I'm gonna open up the rain clouds and the rain's gonna fill up that bucket again. Trust me, there's a different way of living Mm. that if you trust me with what's in this bucket and you know that I'm the one who ultimately fills it, then if you obey me and you spend it the way that I've called you to spend it, I'll fill it again. Test me in this, right? And so it's, Mm. um, we joke, I don't know if we should joke about it, but we joke at the church all the time at the office about we've never met someone who's gotten poor by tithing. Um, in right. fact, we talk to people all the time up here who step into this habit of giving and they realize, man, God has provided for me in ways like never before, whether it's God miraculously helped me pay my bills, I got a raise at work, uh, or just the simple, man, I, I've lived more simply and I've gotten freed from the love of money and God has provided such a richness of blessing in my life and joy that I'm not worried about money anymore because this practice of tithing has taught me that God's in control of my money, not me. And so it's an act of obedience that reminds me who really owns a cattle on the thousand hills and who really is the one who fills my bank account. It's not my employer. It's not myself. It's my God. Um, So I think when God's saying, test me in this, he's not inviting people to test out the cosmic slot machine in the sky. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think when he says, test me in this, he's inviting people to step into a different way of living where they can obey the Lord in this aspect of giving and learn to trust that the rain will fill their bucket as they pour it out because God's the one who brings the rain clouds their way. You, you survived the uh, skeptic questions. I got one more oh, question nice. for you. Uh, is this skeptic? Is not, it's not skeptical. Is it a it's cynics a, question? It's a glorious question. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think. It seems pretty smug to call my own question glorious, but <laughs> I'll judge we'll go, that. We'll go with it. Yeah. Um, I love the result of Malachi 3. In verse 12, it says, as you do this, all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. It's a great conclusion uh, because, man, who wouldn't want to be a part of a place that is called blessed by the nations and a delightful land? And so uh, to close us out here, talk to us a little bit about your heart behind giving here at Three Crosses. Uh, you know, if you've been around with us a long time, we, we I mean, I think of 2023 in the summer, we had the giving challenge. Uh, giving is, is a thing that we've, you know, introduced to our app. It's becoming more of a thing here. And, uh, you know, I'm imagining you guys are, are thinking about what, where does giving fit and what is our heart for giving at Three Crosses Church? So um, could you help us just in your just pastoral heart for Three Crosses Church? Uh, what do you hope to see from giving? And then uh, how can people continue to grow um, from tithing and even beyond tithing? Yeah, I think the, the vision, you know, God talks about the nations of the world will call you blessed. There's probably two ways to look at that. One, I think of Deuteronomy, where God says, you're about to enter into this land to possess it, the promised land. And it says, and when you get there, 
and you're going to enjoy fields you didn't plant and drink from wells you didn't dig um, and harvest crops that you didn't work to get. Don't forget the Lord who gave you all these things. Mm. So part of it is like, you're about to go into this land of flourishing. You're a blessed people. God has provided for you so beautifully. So part of him is saying, step into this economy where I provide for you in a beautiful way. And the whole world will see, man, that God takes care of those people. And then part of it too is, is the concept of that economy God's inviting us to step into that as we step into this practice of giving and bring our tithes and offerings to the Lord, a lot of things happen. We continue to be provided for. We're freed from the love of money. We start to impact the world in a different way. We're able to take care of one another through giving to the poor. We're able to bless our community through the funds that are collected. And people are going to see, not that we're blessed because we're all driving up here in BMWs and Mercedes and all that, <laughs> but, feel like, but people will see, man, these, these are people who are under God's blessing. They seem so content. They're, they're, they love people. They serve people. And... I don't know if somebody's just going to be like driving on the freeway and see like our big facility, be like, what a blessed church. Mm. But as people interact with us as humans and they see that, that we live differently, that, you know, in, in the Bay area here, we are the richest, one of the richest areas in the entire world um, by statistics. We're also by statistics, one of the stingiest people in the entire world, least charitable people in the entire world in the Bay area. And so if we are the ones who are different than that, people are going to see there's something different about these people. And so my heart is not that we all start giving and we all get rich because of prosperity. My, my heart is that giving is a piece of discipleship. And like we said, it's a keystone habit that as we start giving more to the Lord, our hearts are more attuned to his kingdom purposes mm-hmm. and funds are released to, to transform the East Bay for the gospel. And we see how God provides for us. And we learn, we get a glimpse. I feel like giving is, is one of those things where we get to get a glimpse very tangibly of God's real presence in our lives, where kind of like prayer, right? You pray for someone, you hope God hears the prayer, you hope he answers it. Sometimes you see an answer, other times you can't see it, but you hope that it's answered. Giving is kind of like that too, where it's you give the Lord and then you see he keeps providing for you. You give more, he keeps providing for you. And you get to see that there's, a real God out there who's really taking care, care of you and it changes your heart and it changes your life. And so for folks who want to step into this practice, part of it is like, if you've never stepped into tithing before, that's the challenge that we're giving to everyone in our church is how many people would be willing to say, I'm all in. I'm going to trust the Lord with the first 10% of whatever comes this year. Mm-hmm. And so I get a paycheck. I'm going to look at the stub at the top of it, right? What was my gross income? I'm going to take a zero off that. <laughs> I'm going to write a check to the church, right? Yeah. I'm going to trust God at his word that this is what he requires of me and this is what he's inviting me into. Um, So for folks who haven't done that, our prayer is that people would step into that and through that, see God's answer. Test me in this and you will experience the abundant life that I've promised, that something will start to change in you and your finances will continue to be taken care of. Um, For folks who are already doing that, I just, I know so many people, here's an interesting statistic is that in most churches, including churches like ours, I think our church is actually a little less than this, um, people give very small percentages of their income by and large, right? There's only like, I think two and a half percent or 5% of Christians tithe, give their first 10% to the Lord. Mm. But the statistics also show that of those very few Christians who truly tithe, 77% of those people give more than 10%. Mm. And so it almost feels like those people who've stepped into obedience and tithing have unlocked something in their lives where they're like, I want to do more of this because 
of whatever reason, either mm. God is blessing me or I love this, or this is a, a habit I love to grow in. Um, and so my prayer for folks who have stepped over that line of tithing is that they get fired up for, for what is more. And that's, if you're the skeptic out there thinking, oh, Danny just wants more money for the church, right? <laughs> doesn't have to be for the church. Like I mentioned on Sunday for our family, some of that is giving more. We give more than 10% of the church as a family, but some of that is giving to charity. Some of that is just helping the poor. Some of that is helping our friends. Some of that is just blessing people, right? We, there's a, uh, an amazing woman at church, uh, last Sunday who somebody, some little kid barfed in the service. And this woman <laughs> who didn't even know the little kid just goes over and starts cleaning it up, mm. uh, with like wipes, baby wipes from her own purse. Oh, I'm like, and my wife is like, we have to buy that woman a gift and say, you are amazing. Thank you. Mm. And so, right. So we're going to go to the store, buy this woman a gift that's to say, awesome. thank you. Yeah. But it's like, for us, it's like, that's just part of wanting to be generous people. So that's not like a donation to the church. That's just, we want to increase that anytime we see an opportunity to do good to someone or bless someone, even financially, we have money to do it. And so there's so many ways to grow in this practice of giving. And our church has been blessed in amazing ways. Um, even this last year, I'm just so humbled. There's I mean, people, people who've given their entire estates to the church, um, people who've donated homes to the church, right? Just like in the book of Acts, people who've said, hey, I don't have family, but you guys do so much good. What could you do with this million dollar check, right? Um, and we're able to mobilize all the funds that come in to send missionaries around the world to, to do campaigns. Uh, we invested uh, in our missions program a few years ago. We had a million dollar uh, gift come in and we invested in tra training thousands of church planners who went out and reached millions of people with the gospel. And and part of it is like that tangible look of like how, how tangible American money can be converted to kingdom returns as we spend them and invest them on what will last beyond us, right? So maybe that's sacrificing for somebody to say, hey, instead of buying this new car, I'm going to send this money to a, a missions partner overseas. Maybe that's saying, instead of putting this addition on my house, I'm going to put it in the church building fund and put an addition on God's house, whatever, who knows, right? Whatever you feel compelled to do, what I would encourage everyone to do is to just lean into this, because one of my favorite, one of my favorite uh, phrases from the first two centuries of the church um, goes something like this. They say, always have your alms, right? You're giving for the poor um, in the palm of your hand, right? So have your hands sweaty with this money in it, looking for someone to give it to. And I, I think that's, that's a beautiful picture of giving is just let's allocate more of our funds for good and let's always have our eyes open to say, where can I channel the resources in my bank account to do good in this world, whether it's through my church or beyond. And I'm going to trust that whenever I send it out, God's going to send more in because like Jesus says in the parables, to much who have been given, much is required, but also he who has been doing, done well with what was entrusted in him will be given more. That's the parable of the talents, right? And that's about money, that as we invest well what God has given us, he says, this is a steward who knows how to do with money what I've created money to be for, I'm going to give that person more. Um, and so that's where I think the prosperity thing falls down. The more is not for you. <laughs> the reason God gives you more when you're good with it is because he knows you're <laughs> trustworthy to give it out, right? And so my dream is not that we all give and become rich. My, my dream is that we all give so that the world becomes blessed. Like the proverb says, when the rich prosper, the city rejoices because godly rich people use their money to bless the poor and disenfranchised in the world. And that's prosperity according to God, mm. not your new Mercedes. Yeah, what a beautiful vision of this uh, 
kingdom economy that you've given us. And so uh, I can only say the title of the, the series, let's go and let's give, give to, to the, the Lord. Lord. And so, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're struggling with this concept, which I know a lot of us might be wrestling with it, um, great next step would be just open up a conversation. Uh, send an email to one of us, a pastor or, or somebody. Have a conversation about this. Um, I think one of the enemy's tactics is to put this under the rug and have it be sort of a shameful thing to talk about. But, um, yeah, there's just so many good things that can snowball from this as this keystone uh, discipline that we've been talking about. So, uh, Pastor Danny, thanks for talking about giving and explaining a lot of these different things. Thanks for having me. Thank you.